But I've heard it said that there are three types of people. The first type of person is the person who is, who's just come out of a difficult season of life. And if that's you, praise God. Uh, we want to celebrate with you. It's, it's a tremendous thing for you to be out of that. The second type of person is the person who... Hold on a second. So the second type of person is in the midst of a burden right now or a difficult season. So again, if that's you, man, I'm here for you. Restoration Church is here for you. And so don't feel like you can't reach out. We, we are definitely here for you. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Why don't you take it? So I guess I'll just swap mics here. So the third type of person is the person who's about to go into a difficult season of life. If that's you, let me just say that the, uh, proverbial, fan, the proverbial fecal matter is about to hit the fan. So <laughs> things are going to get difficult for you. But you see, difficult seasons can come just in various different ways, in various different forms. And so what we see first and foremost is that difficult seasons can come from a bad report from your doctor on your health. Difficult seasons can also come as a result of, of a broken and failing marriage. Difficult seasons can also come as a result of your loved ones declining, where you can't help them and you're helpless, and you're just watching them fade away. Difficult seasons can also come as a result of, of work. Difficult work or uh, you're not melding well with your employer or your coworkers or you've been laid off or financial situations, like, there's multiple different ways that we can look and see uh, at what happens in, in difficult seasons. So regardless of where we are, we all are going to experience difficult seasons of life. That's kind of almost the human experience. And so for some of us, we can see that difficult season just slowly creeping up on us, and there's nothing that we can do to prevent it. And then sometimes it's just we wake up one morning, and then everything has gone upside down. But how do we live our lives in light of these burdens, in light of these difficulties? You see, that's what we're focusing on today. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at cliche things that people say, and I'm, I'll admit, in the past, I've believed these. When Pastor Kevin was preaching and saying that God wants you to be happy, yeah, I was there. I believed that God wanted me to be happy. Or even one that I believed but never said was godliness is next to cleanliness. Actually, that's reversed. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And so um, I believed that. I believed that if you're a clean person that you are a godly person. But today, we're going to be looking at one that, that comes out quite a bit. The saying today is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Who's, who's heard that said before? Yeah, quite a few of us. And so, uh, this one typically comes out when a well-meaning Christian wants to comfort another person and says, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it, it's meant to comfort. It's meant to encourage. And so, it's, it's, it comes from good in, intent. But just even this past week, I was talking with a friend of mine, and she's raising support to go overseas. And she was saying that people come out of the woodworks, and they tell her, oh, you're going overseas? That's so cool. Don't worry. God's got you. He won't let you go through anything he can't, you can't handle. See, it sounds like good advice, right? 
It sounds like it's, it's advice that we can adhere to. But here's the problem with it. it it's some, it's uh, something that God never said. So there's a couple fundamental problems with it. God never said it. He, it's a misunderstood verse from 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, that verse is not about trials. It's not about burdens. It's about temptation. God will protect us from falling into idolatry, falling into sin. And so he's not going to protect us from our trials. See, the second thing wrong with the statement is that it contradicts the entire Bible. Just look at, at Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was a guy who was imprisoned in a foreign country for 15 years for nothing that he had done. King David, uh, you know, we could go back and forth on King David, but just looking at who he is and, and the, we see that he was on the run twice in his life. The first time, he was on the run from King Saul to no fault of his own. The second time, however, he was on the run from his son, which was 100% his own, but in both cases, he was burdened. He was overwhelmed. We just looked at the, the book of Esther. We just studied it as a church, and we saw that Queen Esther herself was burdened to the point of death, and mostly because she was overwhelmed by the fact that she was risking her life to save her people. Just look at the overwhelming burden that Jesus faced hours before he was killed in, in Mark 14. He says, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And what we see is that God did not remove that cup from him. That God allowed him to suffer to the point of death. So everywhere, everywhere we look in scripture, we find people are overwhelmed. We find that people are burdened by life, burdened by the trials that are coming. And it's not the fact that they are overwhelmed with life that stands out. It's the fact, it's, it's how they respond that gets them recorded in scripture. So does God allow us, or does God not allow us to go through more than we can handle? No. We instead, instead find that God allows more than we can handle, so we rely on Christ. You see, in all of the examples that I just gave you, people are having to rely and depend on Christ. They are having to rely and depend on the presence of, of, of God. You see, they turn to Christ in their burdens, and that's what got them the strength to get through. And so we ought to live our lives in complete and total reliance and dependence on Christ. He alone is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, the first thing that we see as believers in God that, that trials cause us to rely on God's presence. Let's be honest. Uh, <clears throat> how often do we stop and we think about God when life is going well. It's kind of like when we're on that airplane just before it takes off, and we've all been there. They pull out these stewardesses, and they give us that mandatory FAA requirement where they give you that demonstration on where the oxygen masks are, 
where the rafts are, where the exits are. Who actually pays attention to that? You do? You are the exception. But you look around when that's happening, and you're going to find that people are, are already playing on their phones. People are wrangling their kids. Like my wife and I, we're not paying attention to what she's saying. We're trying to get our kids situated. But you also find people are already have their neck pillows out, they've got their, um, their sleep thing on, and they're already falling asleep in the midst of this safety presentation. But let's also be honest. When we hit some rough turbulence, who's actually pulling out that, uh, that flyer just to make sure we know the information? I know I do. But don't we do the same things in our lives? Where we kind of shoot a quick prayer to God, maybe for our meals, maybe five minutes at the end of our, of, end of our day or the beginning of our day, and we just go about our life kind of ignoring God kind of not really thinking much about God. And so it's in those times that we see that God, in his, in his love for us, is giving us more than we can handle. It's not because he's a jerk. It's not because he wants to cause us harm. He's disrupting our lives for the sole purpose that we need to have our eyes set on him. And so we need to be, we need be dependent on his presence. We need to rely on him, and we need to recognize our constant need for God. So the Apostle Paul learned this in his life, and that's why he wrote the second letter to the to Corinthians, as, as Ben already read for us. He wrote that book to show the relationship between suffering and the Holy Spirit's presence. And you read 2 Corinthians, and he talks a lot about suffering, but he talks a lot more about God's power, about God's grace. And so that is what we find with 2 Corinthians. And so look what he said in, in verse 8 and 9. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Do you see that? Paul is not mincing words. He's saying we are overwhelmed to the point of death. But he goes on to say, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Man, Paul is the dude that God handpicked to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles. If you don't know who the Gentiles are, it's basically everyone who's not a Jew, and that includes almost every single person in here. Paul was, was the dude that God handpicked to bring the gospel to the message, and because of his ministry, we are here today. See, he's probably, I would argue, one of the most gifted guys in the, in the New Testament. You look at the rest of the apostles, they're a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of uneducated fishermen, and yet Paul is, is a, he's a, he's well-versed in Hebrew, well-versed in Greek. He's a scholar. He knows his Old Testament inside and out. And you would think that this is the guy. This is the guy that God would probably give the most easy life, right? Wrong. Paul, Paul records in most of his books, he's suffered. Suffered beyond despair. He's been beaten multiple times. He's been rejected multiple times. He's been stoned and left for dead multiple times. He's been shipwrecked 
multiple times. He's been imprisoned multiple times. And so Paul's life is not a cakewalk, but Paul is, is very much telling us that suffering is difficult and that God and his, that we need to rely on his presence. And so God not only wanted Paul to trust him, but God also wants us to trust him with our life. And so he wants us to trust him. And, and so God does, without failure, he makes us show, he, he shows us how incapable we are, how weak and how inadequate we are. And it's when we recognize how incapable we are, that's when God shows us how capable he is. See, for the past two years, I've come to love uh, the Fitzgeralds. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Dan. Um, you know, in some ways, I think that Dan is, is my spirit animal. <laughs> in that, when I, when I grow up, I aspire to be like Dan. If you've spent any time talking with Dan and Joy, you hear their heart. You hear their love for the Lord. You hear how they have faithfully served the Lord for decades. And so at the beginning of this year, Dan and Joy actually left their life group to go start a Bible study in their home. And this is, for the first time in, in years, this is the first Bible study that they've actually had in this apartment complex. And let me just say that the life group that they left misses them dearly. It, they've, they've left a tremendous hole there. And I was just talking with, with the Fitzgeralds just this, this past week, and Dan made an interesting comment that I would have never expected to hear from him. He said he feels inadequate to lead this group. And this is a guy that, that went to Multnomah, that has served in ministry for decades, and he's saying that he feels inadequate to lead a Bible study. And I realized that in Dan's weakness, God is made strong. They have a growing Bible study in, in their apartment complex lobby, and, and that's all because of the Lord. But it's also because of Dan's, and Dan enjoys constant reliance on the work of the Lord. They're relying on God's presence. You see, when we stop, and we, we, we must stop, and we must realize that we have to rely on God's presence. And it's in his presence that we see him working amidst our trials, not against our trials. He's working with us. Notice how, how King David defined being in God's presence in Psalm 34, 8 and 15. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. You see, just like David, relying on God's presence in the midst of trials causes us to experience God in a whole new way. That taste and see that the Lord is good is experiential. We're to experience that the Lord is good. And mind you, David didn't write the psalm in, in a happy place. David was on the run from Saul when he wrote this. He was confused. He was hurt. He was probably angry. And yet he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, for us, it means that we stop and that we intentionally enjoy Christ. We enjoy his presence in our lives. The truth of it is that God never leaves us. We have that promise that God 
never leaves us, never forsakes us, that God is always with us, that God is near the brokenhearted. We, we have these promises. And so it means that we have to seek him out. If he's there, we have to reach out to him. We have to reach out to him in our prayer lives. We have to reach out to him in our devotionals. It means inviting him to speak into our lives. And it's a matter of us pursuing the Lord and trusting that he is at work in our lives today. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says this, he says, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Let me read that again. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Man, again, Scripture is teaching us that we are going to face innumerable burdens in our life. We are going to face overwhelming hurt and pain all the time. But Scripture also teaches us that God is near us, that God has not abandoned us. And so if we want to navigate this complicated life, we have to depend on Christ. And so God allows more than we can handle so we can rely on Christ. See, but as believers, we also recognize one thing, and that trials cause us to rely on God's comfort. Again, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Man, Paul starts this letter of looking at suffering and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he focuses on giving praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father. And this is, again, Paul's writing from a difficult life. We already saw that he's burdened to the point of death, and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul doesn't tell us what his trials are in 2 Corinthians, but we know that he's burdened. We know that he's overwhelmed. More importantly, Paul shows us something that can be overlooked in this short verse. And I want you to underline the word all in verse 3. It's an important word that we often overlook because it's such a small word. But I want to tell you it means exactly what it says when it says that God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all comfort. And that's a thing that we need to, re we need to be reminded of. That if we are hurting, if we are broken, and we receive comfort that, comfort that comes straight from the Lord. But also, ten times in five verses, Paul uses the word comfort. And I want you to do something here with me. As you see the word comfort on the screen, I want you to read it out loud. So, God of all, who? Us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to. Those who are in any affliction with the? With which we ourselves are? By God. So through Christ we share abundantly in? Two. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, if we are afflicted, it is for your and salvation. And if we are, it is for your. You will also share in our. I'm kind of a little confused what Paul's trying to communicate here. No, clearly he's telling us that God comforts us. 
that God is the one who works in our hearts. Again, if we receive any encouragement, any comfort from this world, it comes straight from God, whether it, it's through another person, whether through it's, it's through a circumstance, or whether it's through God coming into our hearts. See, more than that, more than just this idea of comfort, comfort that God is not just giving us this, this sympathy. God is, God is coming and moving in our lives. He's not patting us on the head and saying, good job. He is, he is not minimizing what we are experiencing, but just his very presence is filling our heart and is comforting us. It's rather the Holy Spirit who's filling us and encouraging our hearts. We see in, in John 15 or 16 that, that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to, to comfort us. He does that through his presence. He does that through his word. He does that even through other people. That's that well-timed note, that well-timed phone call, that, that just even spending time with an encouraging friend and all of your burdens seem to just dissipate. Well, they don't dissipate, but they seem to not be as difficult. See, the greatest comfort we see through the Holy Spirit is what Paul says in Philippians 4, when, when the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of Christ fills our hearts where regardless of what's happening, we are at peace. And we know that we are in control. So as Christians today, we need to rely on God's comfort. But again, look at, at your life. Look at the times that you've received that supernatural strength to get up out of bed some mornings. When all of life is falling, or falling and, and crumbling around you, you have the strength to just get out of bed. Think about the times that you've had that supernatural strength where you feel complete peace even though you are completely burdened. And maybe someone has come and talked to you and said, what, what are you on? Like, your life is in, in rambles. You're, you're unemployed. Your family's a wreck. And yet, how can you have peace? And you can basically say, well, that's because it's the Holy Spirit giving me comfort right now. And that's, just, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. See, God's comfort doesn't mean that our burdens go away. But it does mean that we have the strength to face each day. See, God allows more than we can handle, so we rely on Christ. Not only do trials cause us to depend on God's presence and his comfort, but they also cause us to rely on God's deliverance. Look again at, at 2 Corinthians and then also Psalm 34. He says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And then Psalm, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Again, both examples, Paul and David, they are not writing from a place where, there are, where life is a cakewalk, where, light, where they're happy and where they're, everything is going right for them. They are writing in a place of suffering, and they are saying that God delivers. That seems difficult. But as we face our own burdens, I know that there are often times where it feels like we can't breathe. Where it feels like nothing is going right, nothing makes sense. And our burdens always have a way of making us see what's happening right now. We don't see beyond them. And so Paul is saying that God will deliver us. 
And so we see for both Paul and David that their deliverance came as a result of their faith. But listen to this. The God who raises the dead is sufficient for any difficulty of life. So it doesn't matter if we've been rejected. It doesn't matter if we've been scorned. It doesn't matter the state of our health. It doesn't matter what the, what the state of our job is. It doesn't matter the uncertainty of our future. But it does matter that God is going to deliver us from our burdens. Again, not to minimize our burdens, not to say that they are meaningless, but that God is, is going to deliver us from them. See, that deliverance doesn't mean that our burdens will go away. It also doesn't mean that they're going to look the same, that deliverance is going to look the same for every single person. In fact, God's deliverance looks different for everybody in every scenario. You may have faced the same burden multiple times, and you may have found God's deliverance multiple times differently. Sometimes we have to recognize that God delivers us in spite of our faith. Many of you don't know this about me, um, but when I was a junior in high school, my family was, was homeless. Um, we were living in tents for about a year and a half here in the Yakima Valley um, through all four seasons. And this was, this was probably the, the most embarrassing and, and overwhelming thing that I had ever experienced up to that point. And so I've grown up hearing these, these Christian cliches, God doesn't want you to, uh, or God won't give you more than you can handle. Or, you know, don't worry, um, everything's going to be okay. Or even, um, you know, God wants me to be happy. I believed these. The more that I, I focused on these cliches, the more that I really became angry with God. Just grew up hearing stories of, you know, God provides for his children. God loves his children. God, God takes care of his children. And those are true. But the way in which I heard them only made me angry. See, as time progressed, um, I only became more angry with God. I only closed people out of my life because they couldn't understand what I was going through. And so I, I buried my feelings, I buried my emotions, and I just became more angry. I became more angry and, and hostile towards God. I became more angry with my parents. I wanted nothing to do with, with God. I wanted nothing to do with his church. And so I just went on living like this. So my deliverance didn't come because I moved into an apartment with some of my brothers and life all suddenly just made sense for me. No, God's deliverance for me came through me hitting rock bottom, me having no purpose in life, me having no friends that I really wanted to talk to. See, that deliverance didn't come because of me. That deliverance came because God continued to love me, that God continued to pursue me, and it came through some very unpleasant discipline. And so God delivered me through, through me being disciplined. And so I stand here today not because of anything that I've done, not because of how smart I am or how hard I've worked, but all because of God's grace 
working and moving in my life. And I'm here because God delivered me. And so as I look to the burdens that I face now, I look back and I say, God delivered me from that. I know that God will deliver me in my future burdens. See, God allows more than we can handle so that we can rely on Christ. The heart of the gospel teaches us to be dependent on Christ. Just look what Paul says in, later in 2 Corinthians. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly on my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't think that Paul prayed three times, just three times and that's it. Like By the third time, he's like, okay, Lord, you're not going to take this from me. I believe that he prayed in three lengthy seasons of his life where he is pleading, he is interceding before the Lord, and he is in, he's bringing others to pray for him. And then at the end of the third lengthy season of prayer, he finally says, the Lord answers him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. That means that Paul's thorn was not removed, that Paul had that burden for the rest of his life but he was ultimately delivered when he went to heaven. See, the same is, is, is true for us, that we need to learn that, that God not only gave Paul the grace sufficient for his trials, but we also need to recognize that God gives us the grace for our trials also. See, here's the beautiful thing about grace. Grace is not like any other resource that we have on earth. We can put money in our bank account for a rainy day, we can have all sorts of things like a house that we can shelter for the future. We can have food, you know, no more than two weeks, but we can have food for the future. We can store up our resources to use them in the future. That's not how grace works. In the midst of our burdens, God gives us exactly the amount of grace that we need. No more, no less. And it's one of those things that that we can't store for future use, and we have to, we, we just enjoy the grace that God gives us in our trials in the moment. See, we have to recognize that Christ is sufficient for us in all situations. Whether we're in a trial or not, Christ is sufficient. Whether life is working well or not, Christ is sufficient. See, to, to depend on Christ means that we won't have life figured out but we rely on the one who does. See, relying on Christ doesn't come natural to us. Our burdens are heavy. Life is complicated. Yet scripture teaches us three ways for us to trust and rely on Christ. First, we reach out. We do this in two ways. We, we seek him. Again, all throughout scripture, God tells us that he is near the brokenhearted. He is near those who are, are hurting. He is near those who, who are facing injustice. 
God is near those who are hurting. And so all we have to do is we have to seek him. Again, scripture promises if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. We have to seek out and reach out to him. Jesus goes even further and says, are you heavy burdened and are you, are you burdened and heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is promising to give us rest. And so we seek him by setting, setting time aside in our day to pray. It's recognizing that we are dependent on him. Good time to do that might be in your commute to work. I know that I have a five, commute, five minute commute and my prayers aren't very lengthy. But for some of you, there's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe even 40 minutes or longer. And that's it's time for you to just be still and pray. Obviously, you have to focus on the road, but that's neither here nor there. But really what you're doing is that you are seeking the Lord. You're pursuing him. And you can, you can seek him through uh, even journaling. Life is complicated. Talk to the Lord about it. Another way to do it is maybe just take five minutes a day. Set aside all distractions, all cell phone devices, computers, and just sit be still before the Lord. Again, God promises, I or, be still and know that I am God. And so God commands us to just do nothing and just be still. And I know this is difficult. The other part of, of just reaching out is, is seek others. Man, in, in my life, when I was homeless, I didn't talk to anybody about that. I wore this Christian mask that I had my life figured out, but inside I was hurting. I was frustrated. Know that there's nothing too shameful for you to share. God has not created Christianity to be done alone. He's created us for community. If you're in a life group, this is a great opportunity. If you're hurting, Reach out to other people in your life group and say, this is where I'm at. Another thing we see is that we are commanded as Christians to bear each other's burdens. Paul tells us that, bear each other's burdens. And so we have each other to bear each other's burdens. And so again, if you're not in a life group, this is a missed opportunity for you to, to be loved, an opportunity for you to be comforted. It's also a missed opportunity for you to um, love and encourage others. And so God comforts us in the ways that only we can be comforted, and so he does that through others. And so reach out. Secondly, the next thing that we need to do is we need to recount. We need to stop and we need to reflect on what God has done in our lives. We need to reflect on what God is doing in the lives of others. Again, all of Scripture commands us to, that God wants his children to stop, to, to, to remember the things that he has done. You see him telling his children to set up memorials on what God has done in there, what God has done for them, the, the many miracles. And so what has God done in your life that you can recount? The reality is, is God has been working in all of our lives. God has worked miracles in our lives. God has restored relationships that were broken. God has brought people to him that we never would have thought would be 
near him. God has redeemed us from addictions. God has done mighty miracles in our lives. And so we are to record those. We are to recount them. One of the things that my wife and I do, and I'm going to admit I'm not the greatest about it, but we just have a little blessing jar on our windowsill. And so throughout the course of the year, we just write things that God has done, that God has blessed us with. And then on New Year's Eve, every year, we open them up and we read them. Small things that we tend to forget, but we are called to recount God's faithfulness. And then lastly, we rejoice. And look at Paul's heart. In the midst of suffering, what he says is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's tremendous. He didn't say, woe is me, my life is a wreck. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, how can you stop and how can you rejoice in, what, in who God is in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your burdens? How can you stop and you can just give God thanks I want to challenge you, maybe at the end of the night, if, if that's you, if you are feeling overwhelmed, stop and give God thanks for five things every day. You're going to find that the more that you rejoice in the Lord, the more that your perspective on your burdens change. Will they go away? Probably not. But how you look at them and the hope that you have, then you can say, I believe that God will deliver me. And so rejoice because the Lord is still moving and acting in your life. But more importantly, rejoice in the fact that you know that the suffering that you are experiencing now is but for a moment. Again, Scripture teaches us that what we face now is fleeting, is lasting, especially compared to the glory that we will taste in heaven. So we rejoice and we give thanks to God. Is it true that God won't give us more than we can handle? No, it's not. God allows more than we can handle so that we rely and depend on the 